0: You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV.
1: Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Ari Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Katrina Gulliver. Uh, Katrina, could you introduce yourself?
0: Hi, Ari. I'm Katrina Gulliver, a historian, writer, and random Twitter person who you may have seen if you're on Twitter a lot, like I am.
1: <laughs> and like I am as well. <laughs> Um, you know, actually, so that's funny because there was one Twitter related question that I had for you, but we'll hold it to the end and we'll, that'll be okay. like a, a teaser. Um, but so the, we're going to be talking about a couple, uh, things that you've, uh, written about or spoken about, uh, in the near past. And, mm-hmm. uh, these are, uh, things that are about the past. Um, so okay. the, so the first thing we're gonna be talking about is a piece that you wrote that ran, uh, in the Washington Post, Uh, The headline was, Americans put up statues during the Gilded Age, today we're tearing them down. Um, And we'll include the link to that below. And uh, so this was uh, an interesting piece about, yeah, kind of like, why are there all these statues all over America? How did they get there? When were they put there? And I learned some interesting stuff from it. So um, can you tell us uh, more about the piece?
0: Well, I was talking about how technology had changed to really make putting up statues a lot more affordable. You know, just at this period when there was this uh, sense of democratization of public space and people wanted to put money into often beautifying urban areas and making statues historically. I mean, casting in bronze has been going back for thousands of years. Very labor intensive, very, very, very expensive. And the kind of thing that was really limited to Royals, the church, things like that. And, you know, technology changed with the Industrial Revolution. Techniques changed to make it a lot more affordable. And so you could have a statue for a lot less money. And also you had um, the popularity of the public subscription to pay for a lot of these things. People tend to forget a lot of these things. It wasn't one person decided to put up a statue. It was a group said, let's put up a statue. And then they held a public subscription for it. I mean, even the Statue of Liberty was done this way. Uh, money was raised for her in France, Uh, French people, there was even a lottery, there were public art exhibits, there were theater productions, all to raise money to build the statue. Meanwhile, in the US, there was a public subscription to pay for the plinth that she was going to stand on, because the US government said, well, okay, you can put it there, but we're not paying for it. And so, you know, a lot of people chipped in for these things. And I think people forget that these were often very large collective efforts, you know, people putting in very small amounts of money. And I think that's really interesting when we look back on who got statues and, and where they came from, because, you know, it does reflect often the will of a larger group of people than just sort of one individual thinking, oh, I want to put up a statue. It was this, you know, community movement often towards these celebrating particular people or
1: events. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you see the um, the names of those people like in the, on like a plaque at the bottom of a statue, uh, mm-hmm. like the people who, who donated some amount of money to it. Um and okay so let's t- so you mentioned the the technological aspect so I didn't know anything about this so it's called electro something that that uh this new technique that was invented like in the 1850s
0: Yeah well I mean it was a, a way to um essentially produce um a replica of a cast of something much more easily I'm I'm not a scientist so I'm not going to explain this very very well but I think of it as like 3D modeling, kind of like the 19th century version of the fact that you can now print out a 3D model of a gun or something. But it was obviously pre-digital technology and, you know, they, they could create a replica of a cast much more easily than what had been done before. And that saved a lot of money mm-hmm. and sped up the production. And the other thing to think about is how globalized this was. A lot of these statues coming to the U.S., being put up in the U.S., were in fact made in Europe. They were cast. They were sculpted by artists in Europe. They were often cast in bronze foundries in Europe, and you know, brought by steamship to the U.S. I mean, it was very much a global market for these sort of sculptures. And that's one of the things I mentioned that you had these casting factories exporting statues to all corners of the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that one was in White Plains, New York, that made, mm-hmm. became one of the major um, American ones. Yeah, and. Uh, so, yeah, so an interesting fact uh, from the piece that I didn't know before was that, I think you say that between, like, roughly half of the um, statues, like, currently, you know, in public places in America were made between 1880 and 1930. Um, yeah. And so I guess that was, like, the golden age of American statuary or something. Um, and so there's there's the technological reasons for it that became easy to easier and thus cheaper to make a statue um and then so but but there are also like these cultural changes and cultural forces that made people uh want to put up a statue in the first place so could you talk a little bit about those
0: well there were a couple of factors one was the the city beautiful movement which was a sort of 1880s onwards movement towards um as the name suggests people wanting urban spaces to be more appealing you saw a lot of moves towards zoning and other structures, um, you know, legislative effects of that, but also local community groups focusing on things like planting gardens, laying out parks, having urban and town spaces be more attractive in what was a particularly planned way. And it tended to be on these neoclassical principles. They wanted wide boulevards. They wanted, you know, attractive vistas and that created a lot of spaces where it was suitable to put a plinth. And, you know, statues were seen as obviously picturesque, appropriate kind of street decorations. And the other thing is this is a time when, um, as Eric Hobsbawm, the historian, used to call it the invention of tradition in the late 19th century, this invention of the past. Even things like celebrating Thanksgiving. This is not something that people were doing continuously from the 17th century onwards. I mean, it was kind of given a real boost in the late 19th century as a national Concept, And we see that with other forms of tradition that were kind of created around this period. And so this is when you had many more historic sites being designated. You had historical figures, therefore, being focused on and becoming, you know, the town wanted to celebrate, you know, local hero who did something in the past. And so they would put up a statue. And you see a lot of historical associations being dating to about this period where towns suddenly wanted to. Uh, preserve the past of the town and also kind of create the past of the town to project an image of, you know, a proud history of the people who lived there. And so that's where a lot of these statues came from. You know, do we, who do we want to celebrate who we think represents our community? Mm -hmm. You know, that community might be defined. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So in America, was it that, was the Civil War um, both an impetus for like, we need a memorial to the men who fought or who who died but also like so like so many so many people did die and there was such carnage that like that made people want to focus more on, on the past and like you know what, what were they fighting for that that kind of thing
0: well i think any war brings impetus for a lot of memorials but i think there's a kind of a distinction you might want to make between the memorial to the fallen soldiers that oftentimes went up relatively soon after the war and the ones that people think of as the more aggressively white supremacist celebrations of the lost cause that often went up many decades later. We're talking 1910s, 1920s, around the period that there was this uh, resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan. And, you know, these things were less about memorializing particular people who died in the war and more about pushing a particular image of a, you know, white nationalist Vision and, and some of them even explicitly said things on the base about, you know, white men should lead, the the South will rise again, you know, this kind of stuff, you know, that I think is probably detached from memorials that went up immediately after the war that was, you know, to the dead of whatever regiment.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I remember the, uh, there was, okay, so there was this initial period, I guess it was it a, a, right after the uh, Charlottesville um violence in 2017 of pulling Mm -hmm. down statues and then there was a video of a group of people pulling down a confederate statue that was just like an anonymous soldier and when it Mm -hmm. hit the ground it like crumpled like it had been made it was like an aluminum can or something like it Mm -hmm. it it just like you know fell apart very quickly and then people who knew were like well these were kind of like mass-produced in a very cheap way and were like distributed by you know daughters of the confederate whatever veterans and 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 put up and then given, yeah, some sort of like local, local meaning, but like they were, you know, I don't know, like kind of like action figures or something <laughs> just like mm-hmm. produced in a, in a, in a mass way. So that that's, um, so that's interesting. I mean, yeah, because I, I think what's, we what get from pieces when you see a statue, especially one that's like, you know, like green with rust or oxidation or whatever that is, it seems like, well, this has been here for hundreds of years and this is like kind of eternal and... You know, it's, it's, it was made to last forever, but also, but like, okay, well, it was made by people and then maybe some of them were made <laughs> in a more careful way and some of them were kind of made as, you know, we're just churning these things out or, or to get it done as quickly and cheaply as possible. Um, and yeah, so that, that, that was a thought kind of occasioned by, by your piece, um, But okay, so I want to – Okay, sorry, were you going (laughs) to say something? No, I
0: I was just interested in what you said because the other element of the mass production of these sort of things was not statues. It was um, tombstones and funeral statuary because Mm -hmm. the Victorian period, people were really into mourning in a way that they hadn't been previously. And that's when you'll get these really elaborate weeping angels and stuff like that in graveyards. And oftentimes they were mass-produced. You know, if you were expensive and fancy, you could afford to have someone, you know, cast, you know, carve something in marble for you. If you were not, you would buy something that might have been cast in cement or, you know, something like that. So they were kind of the knockoff, mass-produced versions of these things. And I think that's also part of the same discourse of this period, the putting up of monuments even to your own family members if you could afford to.
1: Right, that's interesting. And, yeah, and if you walk through... Victorian or old cemeteries you see these ones that are just uh, like a common one I've noticed is it's like a um it looks like a, a tree branch or something that's been shattered mm-hmm. like the you know the life cut off too early yeah so that's something that I I guess is not really that trope faded out <laughs> at some point yeah. um and yeah it's def- there definitely was a lot more uh I don't know creativity <laughs> about uh what, what what will go into a cemetery uh, back then when I seems like now i mean you know I, like this whole history of like the cemeteries were like the public spaces the first public spaces and people would like picnic in them and because it was open space far from the city and stuff like that so people would spend more time and maybe they'd visit their deceased relatives and have a picnic also <laughs> or something like that so people would have of more of a different relationship to it than than we do now um okay so i want to talk a little bit about uh the pulling down of the statue um, mm-hmm. you, you don't talk about this explicitly in your piece, it's more about the putting up, but uh so we're in an age where um uh an iconoclastic kind of age, people are pulling down statues. And it made me think like, you know, why why is it why has this become a focus? Uh why do people care so much on both sides about the statue? Um what, you know, why are there um uh, soldiers or or police officers who look like soldiers surrounding certain monuments and, and guarding them like they're guarding, you know, uh, uh, Fort Knox or something like that. Um, why, why do we care about this so much? So do you have any, any initial thoughts on why, so, so why both people still really care about statues and why now it's become like one of the focal points of like literal violence, uh, these statues?
0: Well, I think, as you say, it's been coming for a few years. And, you know, in Britain, there was the Rhodes must fall thing in Oxford, which was to do with um, the influence of Cecil Rhodes and his legacy in Oxford, but particularly also a statue of him. And, you know, oftentimes it is around a particular historical individual who has a legacy that, you know, does still resonate. And I think in many cases, you know, people do find offensive. But I think some of the other the other statues you see coming down seem to be just a little bit more random. And I think some of the people pulling them down maybe don't know who the person was. There was some cases that I saw reporting, you know, statues of abolitionists. You know, it's like, well, if if your argument is you're doing this for Black Lives Matter, I'm not sure that that's really... Your ideal target i mean taking down obviously the statues that were to the confederacy that were explicitly white supremacist you can say well yeah obviously i mean these things don't really deserve a, a place in our public sphere anymore but i think as as you say i think these things often get a bit out of hand and you know we've had statues coming down that i think possibly there's less of a strong argument for taking them down i don't know um I think it raised a lot of questions, too, though, about what should be in these public spaces. Are they things that, you know, the general public should get a vote on? Are they something that, you know, there should be some sort of public consensus over what should be in these spaces? I, I don't know that there's necessarily so much of a, an interest in replacing these statues with something else, although it did happen in Bristol where the uh, Edward Colston statue got taken down, got thrown into the harbor. Uh, he was a slave trader and he, to, so
1: i've never heard of this person before is this a, a prominent figure in the uk or uh,
0: i would say he's prominent in bristol in terms of the fact that he a lot of things are named after him in okay. the town and he in his lifetime gave a lot of money to things and so his name's on a lot of stuff um but the debate around his statue really sort of came to the fore i want to say in the last five years um, people had been arguing about the fact that it shouldn't be there, that he represents a particularly uh, nasty legacy and that we shouldn't be regarding him as, you know, a proud father of the city, as it were. So anyway, his statue was ripped down and thrown in the harbor. And you could say, fair enough. And then it was replaced uh, a little while ago. Someone had actually made a statue of one of the women who had been involved in tearing the statue down and put it up in his place, which I thought was actually quite clever. I mean, they'd worked very quickly, whoever the artist was, I can't remember, and they would built this statue of this mm. uh,
1: woman protester. Mm-hmm.
0: And now that's been taken down too. So.
1: <laughs> was that taken down by a crowd or by the city?
0: I think it I think it was probably taken down
1: by the authorities, but I'm not 100%. That's funny. Um, yeah, I mean this is like it it's a deep subject that is strange to me in some ways like there's it there there's things that almost go, that i think go like beyond logic uh when when people are talking about this stuff um so okay so so taking down you know the confederate statues that's been a flashpoint for a long time in the us uh columbus statues are yeah. another one um and as you know a lot of these statues were put up by like italian american associations and uh, seen as, you know, um, memorializing the uh, contribution of Italian Ameri- Italians or Italian-Americans to uh, the American story. And, uh, you know, and now people have a somewhat different view of Columbus than they did a hundred years ago. But a lot of Italians, uh, there's still a um, connection there. They still see it. You know, this is the whole, like, this is connected to the Columbus Day thing, which some people want to rebrand as Indigenous Peoples Day or, or something like that. Um, and... Yeah, so so it's complicated and then I just wanna there's a um so I live in uh Jersey City now and when this when the statue toppling started, someone posted on Jersey City Reddit saying, um, you know, uh, what about you know, we really the, the Columbus statue in Jersey City should be taken down. And um I hadn't actually seen it before and it's a it's kind of like um a statue that must have been put up by uh a nearby catholic church and it's kind of like columbus the crusading christian uh he's holding he's holding a cross a giant cross you know up like this um so right. it's not the traditional <laughs> image of of columbus and so i guess there's a couple you know reasons people could get pissed off that one and then uh so the, but the person who you know di- uh, laid out this post was uh making you know making the, the case against columbus and they were like uh, why don't we put someone el- a statue of someone else up who had a connection to uh, the area how about peter stuyvesant um, okay. <laughs> and, and there were like 50 people in the comments who were like, don't you know what Peter Stuyvesant did? <laughs> so it was, it was almost, a, yeah. So th- I, I, there was just something funny there, but like, um, so Peter Stuyvesant was, I, I don't know his entire history. He was like the first governor or first or second governor of, um, you know, the new ne- Netherlands <laughs> and New Amsterdam. And, um, and, and so Jersey city across the the Hudson river from, um, Manhattan had, you know, had uh, Dutch settlements here as well. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, it's kind of like, on the one hand, you know, yeah, like if we're looking for someone from like the 17th century to to put devote a statue to, well, they probably had some beliefs that we would not agree with today about a number of things because that was four or five hundred years ago. Um, mm-hmm. so so that's part of it. Um, and then you know, people were joking like, why don't we just put a statue of like a cat or you know or like a flower or something? So so I mean. There's there's also this question of like what are you know modern statues and usually they're they they don't look like you know the statues from 1890 they're probably more much more abstract or they're not even they're entirely abstract or I'm thinking of the one of the bust of JFK which you know mm-hmm. that famous one which looks like it was done with someone's thumbs or something or yeah, the, the Gertrude exactly. Stein statue in um in uh uh, uh, uh the uh that's not I can't remember the name of the park but there's a there's a Gertrude Stein statue not in Central Park but in um another park in New York City uh on 42nd Street so so yeah so that's somewhat different also and it's not like yeah there just seems to be a level of abstraction from who the actual person was to this being more of of an artistic thing as opposed to just a person okay so I've been talking for a while do you have any any reaction to, to any of that I do think it's
0: hilarious that someone said, let's replace the evil colonialist Columbus with a statue of <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I mean, the Columbus has been such an issue for a while. I mean, I remember when I was a kid um, in 92, there was the because it was the 500th anniversary in 1992. There was a lot of contention there about Columbus Day, about how it was celebrated. And I think it was around then you started getting some places renaming it Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, that was also the year that those two awful Columbus movies came out that you might remember. Um, mm. There was one with uh, Gerard Depardieu that was the most serious one. Okay, and there was another <laughs> one with Tom Selleck that was really trashy. Boy, I think I was maybe a little too
1: young to to see either of those, and they they've passed. Yeah, passed by. Um,
0: you know, it, and yeah, he is one of these figures that is. You know, really contentious, and you know, I, I don't think anyone is really coming out nowadays and saying he was a great guy and we should celebrate him. I mean, the legacy of suffering on Indigenous peoples that his voyages led to is hardly something we can be proud of or want to mark. But as you say, I, I don't know who we would find from the 17th century that you would want to celebrate. I mean, your answer should be perhaps that you know, maybe we shouldn't put a white guy up there. Maybe we should look to someone else.
1: Yeah. I well, mean, you, you could, you could think it could be just a um, more or less, uh, you know, regular person or something from that time. Um, you know, it could be, uh, yeah. I, I mean, picking someone who isn't a white male, maybe <laughs> a little bit of a, of a change. I mean, so, you know, you noted in the piece that there, is this right? Am I understanding this right? There aren't, there currently aren't, there is not a statue of a woman in central park.
0: Not a statue of an actual woman who isn't just a classical or figurative thing. I mean, it's, it's been a, something people talk about in the last few years. Find a statue of a woman in your city who isn't a classical figure or a queen. And chances <laughs> are there will not be one. I mean, uh, if you're in Britain, there's a good chance you'll find a statue of Queen Victoria somewhere. But other actual human women don't tend to get much of a, a look in. That's why they recently put up the Millicent Fawcett statue in London. So, you know, a woman in parliament square, which is, you know, a step forward, but, uh, you know, quite recently that we, we've had that for the first time.
1: Mm -hmm. And so when they, when they do these modern statues of like, let's do someone who isn't a white man, is it done in the retro style? And then it's kind of like almost a pastiche or is it done in more like a modern style?
0: Uh, I think it varies, varies a lot. Um, I'm, I'm not really an expert on contemporary statuary. Uh, the Millicent Fawcett one is, you would say, in a fairly traditional style of, of uh, sculpture. It represents essentially the period that she was from, which is the early 20th century. Um,
1: <clears throat> and she was, and the, she was a suffrage? Uh, she,
0: was a, she was a suffragette, yeah. The other, the other actual woman I was going to say that you've got a big statue of in London is... Uh, boadicea or boudicca right <laughs> so i guess she was a real person
1: but was she a real person i thought it, 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 she's like a semi-mythical but maybe she was real like a celtic queen
0: i think queen. she was real okay um what
1: what we know about her and her
0: interactions with the romans are probably a little embroidered
1: okay um okay so let's talk about tearing down the statues <laughs> um so i i was thinking about um uh, the first, the, uh, there was a, there's a famous instance in American history of tearing, uh, during the Revolution, tearing down the statue of King George III that was in lower Manhattan and, you know, sm- smelting it or whatever and turning it into bullets. That's at least how they teach it to you, mm-hmm. like in elementary school. I don't know if it really happened like that. Um, but that that's maybe the most famous um, tearing down of a statue in most of U.S. history. And then there's the tearing down of statues in the popular conception of, like, uh, the statues of Lenin coming down after the fall of the Soviet Union, Um, the statue of Saddam being torn down um, during their first, you know, like, week three of the Iraq War, and it had to be helped by um, the, uh, you know, American tanks and stuff had to help pull it down, um, which was, like, looking back, uh, you know, (laughs) a prescient metaphor about, you know, what it would take in that country. Um, and, And then... And then, it, so those are, those are tyrants, who, you know, and, and the government has changed and, and tyranny has fallen, uh, at least people think tyranny has fallen. And so they run out to start tearing down, uh, the hated statue of the, of the tyrant. So, so it, this is different than what's happening now, because as you said, um, you know, they're going after Columbus and, uh, you know, um, Jeb Stewart or something, but they're also going after some random person who who's like an abolitionist whose statue was near the, Wisconsin Wisconsin State House or, or something along those lines, uh, maybe it was in Minnesota, but yeah. So there's there's almost like a statue tear down fever. Like uh, like this is like a meme that, that's spreading and people like want to get in get in on the action. And I mean I'm sure it's it must be really exciting if you're like literally pulling on a rope with like a dozen or so of your comrades and then and then the thing topples and everyone claps. That has to be super fun. Um, but but that's but that that's different than the the government. Saying we are taking this down and like sending mm-hmm. some construction equipment to do it, or <laughs> yeah. they they do it in the middle of the night without announcing it um because mm-hmm. they want to protect the statue so they, those these are possible different ways the statue can get off its pedestal um wh- what do you think of why people are now running out to you know tear down <laughs> kind of thing and um but also the the whole like it seems it does seem better to me for the government to be doing it than for a, like, mob, quote-unquote, of people to be to be doing it. Uh, because, you know, just a bunch of people can't decide to uh, change, uh, change the landscape uh, on their own. That seems somewhat wrong to me. It should be done through democratic processes. Uh, so, yeah, what do you think of that?
0: Well, I think, as you say, there's different situations. I think most of us were kind of... I don't know pleased to see you know after the fall of the Berlin Wall uh, you know people were able to rip down these statues of Lenin across eastern europe so this was their expression of finally getting free from you know the communist dictatorship and you know I don't think anyone was sad when we saw a statue indeed of Saddam Hussein coming down when these sort of tyrants get ripped down I mean that is symbolic and I think it's important for the people involved in pulling it down I mean you saw people hitting the statue of Saddam Hussein with their shoe. I mean, this was a real expression of their personal anger towards this government that had mistreated them. And so I think in a sense they're entitled to that. Uh, I mean, as opposed to the government taking them down elsewhere, I think there was this week, I would probably have to check, in Chicago two two statues of Columbus did come down, I think were taken down by the government, um, by the city officials, I think preemptively. And I don't think that was necessary to preserve them, but... I think so. They didn't become a focus. I mean, I don't think they're probably going to be put back up. But um...
1: right. Well, I mean, one thing, at least in in the earlier iteration of the, um, you know, circa twenty seventeen, the idea, the kind of like the good liberal opinion was like, okay, take them down, we'll put them in a museum, and we'll explain who mm-hmm. these people these people were and why what they did was bad, and. Um, yeah, so it's it's the Indiana Jones, <laughs> this belongs in a museum, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it should be, you know, where you could have all sorts of historical relics, and you're, you're not uh, giving like a value statement or approval to it, um, mm-hmm. and, but now, it but now that seems, I don't know, I haven't heard that in this round, that the statue of Jeb Stewart should be put in a museum, um, I mean, first of all, how many statues of Jeb Stuart are there out there? Like, you know, they they probably made a lot of them about fifty. I don't know. So you could have just a museum of Jeb Stuart statues. Um, and then also, who who the hell cares about Jeb Stuart? You know, <laughs> one hundred fifty plus years after the Civil War, who wants to go look at his statue in a museum? And so it's it's more it most just seems like uh, let's destroy this shit and throw it in the river. And that that see does that only happen in? First, did that happened, it seemed like people were inspired to. They wanted to do it other places, but it's not always as easy to. Statue <laughs> needs to be fairly I, close to the river.
0: I, well, relatively close to the river, but I think also he had, or rather, Constant's statue had been such a focus of people's resentment for such a long time that you know he attracted more, you know, specific anger. I think than. I think most other statues, and that particularly was why there was the big momentum to get him down and throwing him in the river was quite symbolic because of Bristol having been a slave port, rather throwing him in the harbour, sorry. And, you know, I think there was a great emotional build-up towards that, uh, but I think there hasn't been necessarily towards other statues that um, weren't recognised as such problematic figures in some places. I mean, what you say about what we do with them when they've come down, I mean, some of them have been more or less destroyed, some of them haven't. There is a place that I've heard about in uh, Lithuania, which is a, uh, they call it like Stalin world, and it's a statue park of all these ripped down uh, Soviet-era statues that they've just put up, you know, put into this park. So I I think you can go and visit and just go and look at Soviet statues if that's your thing,
1: Mm -hmm. which I think
0: is quite funny. But this notion of just put them in a museum, I think kind of expresses... I want to say one of the problems with how the general public think of museums as just like a warehouse of old stuff. I don't think most museums actually want these things. And the idea that because the people saying, "I'll put it in a museum, they are never going to go and look at it in that museum. The museum is going to be stuck with a whole bunch of statues that nobody actually wants to see. Nobody's going to be paying an entrance fee to visit. I mean, what are they supposed to do with it? Yeah, them? the, the, but I, the I museum. Really
1: the, the, who wants to go to? Who wants to run the museum of Confederate statuary? That's all these, well, exactly. all these guys on horses that were displaced from you know public squares in towns and cities across the South. Um, I guess there's there's some audience for that, but not not a huge one. Um, yeah. So then, but what do you? I mean, if if the government removes Robert E. Lee's statue or something, what do you think should happen to it?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think. Depending on what it is. I mean, it's one of these things, you know, separate the art from the artist. If it was actually something hypothetically that was um, sculpted by Rodin or someone of significance as an artist in their own right, then it might be of more interest than just a sculpture that was made by some random person and, and of little artistic or historical merits. I, I really read a fantastic suggestion on Twitter, which was dump them all in the ocean so they become an artificial reef, and then people <laughs> could go diving and swim around them. Oh, and the, I that's just fantastic. Well, like they
1: do with subway cars. That's actually yeah. beautiful if you think if you if you think about it that it. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we don't know we're killing the reefs the the reefs because of the uh, you know acid in the ocean water, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you can imagine. You know, in 100 years, they're all covered in coral and, and so forth. And people are just swimming around them. And they're like, who are these, you know, who is this man? Who is this Jeb Stewart person? We don't know who he is. We don't, we don't care. Um, <laughs> so that—that that is a very poetic um, end to them. Um, I wanted to mention briefly a statue controversy type thing that, it is, uh, that happened over the past month. So I used to live in Rochester, New York, uh, the two famous historical... Uh, citizens from Rochester, New York, are Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass, um, and there's lots of stuff named after them around uh, the the main bridge in Rochester. Is the Freddie Sue people call it locally Frederick Douglass Susan B. Anthony Bridge? Um, so Rochester is also so. Douglas lived for like 30 years or something in Rochester, um, but there's not much that's still there from his time. There's a, there's a Susan B. Anthony house where she lived, but um, uh, Douglas is any. I think all the places Douglas lived have been torn down and some of them is just like a parking lot. So it's kind of sad. Um, but there is a statue of Douglas that was, as far as I understand, the first, um, statue of an African American, um, erected in the United States. Um, and it would have been like, you know, fairly soon after his death, maybe in like 1880 or something. So it was within this era. And it's in sort of the main park, Highland, Highland Park, um, in Rochester that, uh, is somewhat equivalent to central park. And so that, that, that was, that's, I always thought that was a kind of cool thing. And then, um, so there was a news story about three weeks ago that a Frederick Douglass statue was defaced and like thrown, uh, into a gorge. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you caught this one, but it, it caught my eye and I, and I was like, Oh no, did they like, how, like, did they take the statue? Like this is a historical statue, uh, like a true, this is not just Jeb Stewart, number 27. Like this is a true historical statue. Um, of an actual admirable American, and, like, did they destroy it? So I was I was upset at first, and so, you know, I'm saying I don't even understand people, why people care about these statues so much, but I, I cared about this one. Uh, but mm-hmm. then it turned out they were like, no, this is another statue that was a different part of the city, and I was like, oh, I didn't even know there was, there was a statue, another statue of Douglas there on the other side of the river, and and then um, it seemed like they don't know, you know, some people took it off and threw it, like, down a gorge, or, like, into a river, and so it was destroyed, but then I was just look, trying to f- close the loop on this, and so what actually there's a, what actually happened was that um a couple of years ago there was a like civic art project um where a sculptor made twelve or or something like that um copies of the original Douglas statue and then changed them in some ways where like maybe uh like the hand was like missing or something or like there was like an empty space you know where his chest would be or something. So they used like modern techniques such that each one looked a little different and didn't really look like the real one and they and they put them all around the city in some some in places that were uh relevant to Douglas's life and some just in like parks and stuff. And so it was one of these that was um you know lifted up and thrown into the gorge. So it was a modern a modern like postmodern replica of an actual historical statue. Um, and so, but just a couple, like, just like a couple days ago, uh, they replaced it. They had, like, kept, they had, like, put out 12, but made thir- 13. There was, like, one still in the warehouse. So they replaced the one that was th- thrown in um, and put it in a spot that actually does have some historical interest because it's it was a um, spot where escaped slaves would um, go to and go up the Genesee River and, into, like, Ontario and head to Canada. So, um but it, but it also like, so it was more like an, a piece of art, and a replica than an actual thing. But the way it was reported originally, uh, it was like, like they're going after Frederick Douglass now. Like who, no, no statue is safe. They're destroying Frederick Douglass. These crazy lefties. And then if you thought about it for a second, you'd be like, well, it's possible that some lefties went after Frederick Douglass, but probably more likely that like some righties <laughs> tried try to take down Frederick Douglass. I guess they they don't know who actually did it, but um. But yeah, so it's strange. It's a strange overall. And anyway, if if you want to go to Rochester, the the statue has been replaced there, thankfully. Um, And I don't know if there, I thought there was just a temporary exhibit or something, but I guess they're, maybe they're going to leave it up forever. But, you know, they're made out of plexiglass or something. So it's fairly easy to like lift it up and throw it in the river, just a couple people if they wanted to, as opposed to, you know, needing a bunch of people. Um, So yeah, I don't even know what to think about that that entire episode, but but people still care about statues, uh, even if they're kind of like weird fake ones. Yeah,
0: I mean, I I find it really interesting that I I suspect kind of cynically that some people who want to take down statues and also some people who are suddenly desperately, oh, let's protect this. This is part of our heritage. I think if you'd asked these people a year ago, none of them had heard of this statue or this person that the statue represents. You know, it's... They, they've got this sudden passion about it. Um, you know, let, let's save our heritage. I bet you most of those people couldn't name the person in the statue or anything they were famous for or <laughs> why they want to keep it. You know, it's, it's this... So I think a lot is being projected onto these statues that represents other, obviously, you know, cultural, political tensions.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if you... The the average statue, if you walk by it and, and it doesn't have, like, the person's name on it... um. Unless, unless it's like Abraham Lincoln or something. There's only, you know, like, you're like, who is this person? Why is this here? Or probably you don't even think about it. You just ignore it and keep on walking to wherever you go. Um, so, yeah, it's strange. I'll, I'll, I just want to I realize I should plug another statue that's in Jersey City, which is a statue that I think is called Lincoln the Mystic. That was, uh, it's, it's an interesting statue of Lincoln where he's sitting down and looking very dejected. Um, so it's not a heroic statue. And it was... Uh, built around or installed around nineteen thirty, so at the end of this period that you note, know, um, mm-hmm. and it's in uh, Lincoln Park in, in Jersey City. Um, okay, do you have anything else on statues before we should before we move on to our our next topic?
0: No, no, I th- I, I think I, I think I'm okay, I am done.
1: I think we covered yeah we covered the ground, but but then yeah, I feel like you know we could keep on talking about this for a long time because it's, it is just such a strange, uh, resident topic. But the, but the, the, another thing I want to talk to you about was a TEDx talk. That you gave in 2019, um, called how to be a tourist and we'll include the link. And, um, I, I encourage people to, uh, uh check it out. And so, you know, the, so the era of tourism has, um, at least paused and maybe it's, it's come to an end, but uh, probably not, but who knows? Um, so how are you thinking? Can you just talk a little bit about the initial, um, argument in, in this, uh, TED Talk you gave, and then how you're, maybe how you think about it now that we're in coronavirus world.
0: Well, I mean, my talk was about how we have this discourse of over tourism, which is often quite snobbish in the sense of my my travel is necessary; it's your travel that's destroying the planet, and that's often the subtext there. And it's much like many discussions of overpopulation. There's always just enough of me, far too many of you, you know, which, which is often. The <laughs> Not so hidden subtext of these things. And when it comes to travel, people, particularly these days of um, Instagram and social media, it's very much a an experience that they're wanting to project onto another audience. So it's not necessarily what they're experiencing. It's the image of what they're experiencing that they want to send to someone else. So, you know, taking the selfie in the right place with a beautiful view or whatever. And you see these photos of people. Obviously, we all know that crowds of people with selfie sticks it's like they're not even experiencing the environment they're visiting they're only seeing it through their own screen in order to get the right photo or whatever for for Instagram likes later on and so yeah you know, I was talking about you know the importance of travel and thinking about what you're doing as a traveler and whether maybe it's not necessary to visit to some of the more over touristed areas you know maybe if you really want to do the right thing you should just not go to these places if you actually care about them um you know because conscious people talk about conscious travel and it's always about how you can travel but do it more ecologically it's never about how you can just not you know maybe that's the best thing to do although of course now we're in a situation where pretty much most of us are just not traveling and that raises questions too because you see places where Economies have become entirely dependent on travel and not just on local travel. Um, a lot of cities are really dependent on people flying in from all over the world to maintain their economy. And when that's not happening, you know, you've got cities that are major travel hubs like Singapore currently getting basically no visitors. And that's, you know, hugely disruptive to their economies when you have huge proportion of the population otherwise employed in ways that depend on travel.
1: Right. Um, this is a side note, but did you see the piece in the Times in the last week or so about the um, town in Thailand, I believe, uh, that is a tourist spot because of all the monkeys that live there? And now what's happening to the monkeys now that the tourists aren't there to feed them anymore?
0: I don't think I saw that. Is it that they're not getting enough food because the tourists aren't there?
1: Yes. So I'll. it's a very... It's like funny and sad and strange. I'll include the link to it below. But basically... You know, th- th- this was, like, a historical, like, um, I think Hindu monastery area. It could, it could be Buddhist. Um, and then it also it always attracted travelers. And then in modern day, the travelers started coming more to see all these monkeys that are very tame and will take, like, a piece of apple out of your hand. Mm-hmm. And then all the travelers stopped. The monkeys are still around. And now the monkeys are harassing um, everyone, all the shopkeepers and people who live in this area uh, constantly and, like, causing crazy mischief, like, because they're so smart. And they just are, you know it's like a toddler, you know, it, it's, it's like, there's a thousand t- hungry toddlers who are like running around this, this town. It's, it, it's, 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 you know, <laughs> an unanticipated result of, of the virus. Um, so, so, it, so in the talk, you, you say, you know, there's the, uh, there's a the traveler, and this is like a lofty thing. And there's the, the tourist and everyone hates tourists, or at least if you live in a tourist spot, you hate tourists. Um, and, and like, so to- to- being a tourist, Is bad (laughs) travelers, but you note that like anywhere you can travel to someone has been there before to, you know, find it or, you know, build the infrastructure there or make it easier (laughs) to get there. And, um, the, uh, so the the travel and the tourist is there, is there a difference? Do you see a difference between them at all? Uh, or are they just a, a fancy name for the same thing?
0: I think I think they're the same thing. I think people are kidding themselves when they're. Oh, I'm I'm a traveler. I'm a citizen of the world. This sort of stuff. I think that's I think that's absolutely a load. I think <laughs> I think you're a tourist and you should admit it. I just quickly looked up this monkey story. I think that's very funny. Um, I haven't been there. I have been to a monkey jungle in Indonesia, which is similarly. They are kind of looked after by the monks, but they are very very keen on stealing food from tourists. They they will rip a sandwich out of your bag. That kind of thing. Um, so I don't know what they're doing right now with the lack of lack of tourists. Probably the same thing. Probably running around and uh,
1: stealing from everyone in the place. <laughs> right. One of the funny um, the funny details is that uh, there's some cops or somewhere between a cop and an animal control officer in the town, and his weapon is a slingshot. Um, and so they say, you know, he'll you know he'll go to the slingshot and the monkey will run away, but he actually never shoots them um oh, really? he doesn't have any ammo for the slingshot so once the monkeys figure out that he they never actually get shot you know after a couple of times they're like, they don't care about the slingshot thing anymore and so he, i guess he needs to figure out some new way to to scare the monkeys away um but they must have seen someone fire a slingshot maybe yeah maybe originally they know
0: that it was something to be scared of that's
1: a good point maybe maybe at first they they were given like little rocks or something to and then maybe that was decided that was too cruel little to monkeys um and yeah, I mean, just yeah, you know, just the idea of control. You know, monkeys are, you know, too, like too many monkeys is not a problem that you, you think about very often. But you can't. It seems mean just like euthanize them or something because they they clearly have a higher consciousness than, you know, standard vermin or whatever. Um, but it's okay. But getting back to the um, traveling, you know, one one thing this this made me think about was. Um, I and I mentioned this on another episode. I uh, I'm newly uh, somewhat new to the world of of uh, online dating and app-based dating, and so you know it's very based around photographs. And but it's also like the theme of travel and like giving your identity through travel mm. is, is very encouraged. And like there's there's you, there'll be little question prompts, and it'll be like give me travel tips for blank or the my craziest travel story is blank, and. It really so it really does seem like you know in modern, you know modern mm-hmm. people who are on the dating market are defining themselves through what kind of travel doing and then also the photos is what really reminded me of your talk because if you you know click through <laughs> enough photos you start to notice patterns and so some of them are everyone's taking the same vacation to the same place taking the same photo uh, one is the same spot in Machu Picchu. Um, I guess when you finish climbing the mountain or whatever mm-hmm. you take you take a photo as you 're like exhausted sitting there and um the top of Kilimanjaro and uh uh the Louvre and holding holding your your fingers up like this over the tip you know it 's like the, the thing with the um leaning tower of Pisa like people don 't do that anymore that 's lame, but the going to going <laughs> and like pinching the very top of the well, i m Ampe- p pyramid at the Louvre yes the uh, the i m p uh, pyramid at the Louvre is mm-hmm. the thing you do and yeah, i i 've seen i 've seen that replicated at least a hundred times um, <laughs> on this app. It's strange. So it, it, in some ways it's just like, well, everyone is kind of the same, you know, everyone has the same idea of what they think a funny photo or a cute photo is. Um, but, but yeah. And then I've almost, you know, there's this Twitter joke that's like, like XYZ isn't a personality and it's like, you know, travel isn't a personality. And then all these people who really define themselves through travel and also in the dating apps, they say in their bio, I have visited 50 countries. I've visited all seven continents um, yeah. Just, you know, like, this is very, obviously very important to them, and now they're stuck, <laughs> stuck here, wherever, and they can't go on travel anymore. And I guess it, it has to, you know, like, suck for them if this is, like, their main source of, uh, you know, like, free, what they did in their free time or source of pleasure or something. So in some ways, I'm, like, feeling a little bad for them, but in other ways, I'm like, well, maybe you'll, like, read a book or something now if you can't if you can't travel to, like, your 51st country. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but,
0: do you remember that website, Stuff White People Like? Yes, that sounds entirely like that cuz i bet you could say stuff white people like taking a photo at Machu Picchu taking a photo of themselves doing yoga on the beach in costa rica you know it sounds entirely
1: <laughs> yeah like that particular I, 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 think, I think you know thankfully people of all races will, will you know go to paris and when they go to the louvre take a photo of pinching the, the top of the of the glass pyramid um, it just seems to be a universal or at least women i don't i don't know if men are also pinching the top of the glass pyramid um but yeah but then it's then it's also like you know, I've seen I've seen this photo five hundred times. Do I need to go to the Louvre and pinch the top of the, of the glass pyramid? I think I've I've had the experience. I think, and you know, not a lot of people um, have the photo with them, and you know, with the Mona Lisa or something like that. Which I guess, you know, it it was famously like very crowded around looking mm-hmm. at the Mona, Mona Lisa um, because of all the travelers slash tourists. And now we know that can't um, you know that can't ha- happen in, <laughs> at least currently uh, in this in our reality. Um, do you want to talk about museums? That could—that seems to lead us into museums. is there anything else you want to say about about travel and how we can't travel right now? Uh,
0: no, I think I think it will be interesting though to see how the travel industry sort of restores after this. You know, which kinds of travel people go back for and which kinds they don't. Particularly if, God forbid, we don't have a vaccine and people are still having to think about you know safety and risks of catching the COVID you know, what kind of travel people will be willing to risk and what kind they won't.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it just seems, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, in, the, in the near future, the the whole travel world seems almost completely cut off, and, I don't know, maybe only, like, the super rich who have, like, a Gulfstream or something or you know, <laughs> are, are, are traveling, um, like, for uh, any sort of exotic vacation. Um, okay, so... Uh, museums. So you so you mentioned you have a piece and process on museums and how people understand them. We mentioned this a little bit, um, and and also what how could how can museums like move forward? Uh, you know, when so many tourists aren't here and when you can't have crowds of people inside. Um, can you tell us about that?
0: Well, I mean, I, I read this a lot ago, so I don't know about you, but I'm on the mailing list of uh, quite a few museums and I'm a member of a few museums. And, you know, you're kind of used to getting lots of emails from them saying we need money. I mean, that's you get an email from them every week, give money to others, that and the other. And then when the coronavirus broke out and they start sending more of these emails and they're more desperate and you start realizing they're really, really, really in trouble. I mean, some of particularly smaller museums, museums that aren't, you know, really state sponsored or that ha- don't have large sort of endowments are really really struggling uh, particularly if they're in cities that have been <clears throat> closed off to travel and they're dependent largely on long-distance visitors to maintain their uh, business I mean museums often depend on things like school visits as well and that's been out of the question while schools have been closed and so I think it's going to raise questions about how we think about what museums do in order to raise money there's been Museums taking different approaches to put more of their stuff online. Um, you may have noticed this museums unlocked thing on social media where a lot of museums are showing elements of their collection and it's great. I think it's wonderful people are learning more about what's there but I don't know how much that's actually going to turn into income for these museums in the mm. future. I don't know how many people are going to have seen that on Twitter and thought oh I've definitely got to go to that museum once once the coronavirus is over Yeah and I think it's just going to raise a lot of questions about what. Museums will survive, I mean your big ones, like you know the v a the Met the Louvre I mean obviously they 're going to survive, no one 's no doubt about that, but it 's going to be the the littler, more idiosyncratic museums that I think they will struggle more, particularly if they're in expensive cities
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah, just a couple days ago, the um, tenement museum in on the Lower East Side of Manhattan announced that they were like laying off all of their tour guides. Um, mm-hmm. So, which was like 75 people. So it seemed like the bulk of their staff. Um, and I had gone there for the first time in the fall and really enjoyed it. And the tour guide, I think the tour guides are mostly like, you know, actors who like, this is a kind of a day job. Um, and so the guy, the guy was great who, uh, who gave her tour. So that was a bummer. And that, and that's also a very, you know, very site specific kind of thing. And also you don't want to be in a tenement during a, uh, um, you know, viral pandemic. So I don't I I don't know what they're how they're gonna possibly do it unless like they end up getting bailed out by the city or the state or, or something. Um so yeah, it's depressing. Um thinking about they that. They were
0: actually one of the ones I was writing about, uh, the tenement Because, oh, really? you know, you've got other museums like art museums that oftentimes I mean, ideally they wouldn't but when they get really pressed, they might be able to sell that piece of art to tie them over for a few months. So it's something like the tenement museum where the artifact is the building they don't have stuff they can just you know take down to sotheby's right
1: yeah the the artifacts are like you know some scissors that were found in in between the floorboards from 1900 um so do you i mean do you uh, do you see any sort of model besides bailout that could help these cultural institutions
0: yeah i i really don't know i mean i was thinking of something there was um one of the theaters in london did um a production recently are are doing multiple productions and i'm the name the name they've given it is slipped my mind but basically people were buying tickets as they would to a normal theater production to watch a stream of a play that was performed in the theater with no audience and I'm wondering whether museums might be able to do something like that, where people pay for a virtual private tour. I mean, that's something they could do in this environment and probably make some money from. Yeah. But I don't know what else in the long term would be a viable strategy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a, I mean, it it is, um, it does seem like a thing where or being there in person, uh, is key to the experience. Um, like like a play, you know, we're used to watching things on TV, so that's somewhat the same. I, I saw a production of um, Heroes of the Fourth Turning, which was uh, well, a off Broadway play that came out last year. That they did, they did like a one off, and they kind of redid it for Zoom, and mm-hmm. um, everyone seemingly was was just in their you know in a room in their apartment, but it, it worked really well. And I had like I hadn't seen the play before, and now I want to see the stage version to see how it was different and see the actors. Um, in real life if that ever is possible again um but yeah i don't know like you know i probably like like there was this uh you know google did something with museums where they took the kind of google street view machine and you know so you can kind of walk through a museum virtually but like i guess like it's cool but it's like who is you know (laughs) who's like in the same way like Oh, I want to go to the museum today, you'd be like, oh, I'll just I'll just look at the Google thing today. Like it, it just isn't the same. So yeah, I don't know. it it it's 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 bad. I don't know.
0: Maybe to have the true museum experience, they can also, you know, door-dash you some really overpriced coffee and a piece of cake or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, you know, pump in some like the sounds of like annoying people talking <laughs> behind you as you're trying to contemplate the great art and stuff like that. Um mm. Okay. So we'll look forward to that piece coming out sometime soon. Um, and so I will ask the question that I teased at the very beginning about, about Twitter and you, which is your Twitter avatar, which is very mysterious to me. And I, in my head, it always just kind of like makes me think of a rabbit, but can you describe what it looks like and what it actually is?
0: Well, it is me uh, with what look like big ears, and they are ears. They are, It's a resin model of bilby ears, and a bilby is a little marsupial about the size of a rabbit that lives in Australia, and it was at a zoo, and they have these ears, so it's as if, as if a bilby was human-sized. This is how big their ears would be, and oh, okay. you can take your picture with them. And so it's, it's less mysterious. I've had some people ask me; they thought they were lobster claws.
1: That was um, actually, yeah. I, I mean, that's what they kind of look like in a way, but they also look like rabbit ears. But um, or, but they also kind of look like a fossil or something. <laughs> it's yeah. Okay, well, mystery solved. And uh, okay, so <laughs> so what is your what is your uh, Twitter handle if people want to see you and with the ears I, or follow you or whatever?
0: I am at Katrina Gulliver and i'm sure you can put a link to that underneath
1: sure yeah your your twitter handle will be underneath this uh my twitter handle is racw um anything else before we actually <laughs> wrap it up
0: no I, th- I think we're wrapping it up I, I i think you should post the pictures that you're using for your online dating profile maybe the picture
1: of you doing yoga
0: and macho or whatever
1: <laughs> <laughs> um well i'll consider it um you know, I, so I am not a global traveler. And so, um, most of my, the, the most exotic location that one of my photos is from is a used bookstore in um, Knoxville, Tennessee. But but otherwise, it's not super exciting. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 like, do people want, I don't know. Do people like, like, is it more appealing? Is it less appealing? Especially now? Like, what has changed? That's, I guess that's a different conversation. If, you know, if, if the person's if they're all their photos are of them in exotic places, and we're in our current reality, it's kind of like, you know, that's the, that's all you got. Like, okay, I guess I guess you don't have not a, not a huge conversationalist or something, you know, <laughs> right now. So I don't know. Uh, okay, so well, what's you, the alternative? Is is
0: the coronavirus version? Here's a photo of me at a Zoom meeting in my living room. <laughs> here's a photo of me on a Zoom meeting in my yard.
1: Here's a photo of me <laughs> in a Zoom meeting from my bedroom. Well, there. <laughs> <laughs> one you know, the one kind of strategy that people do is they'll have like almost like a like a high and a low. So they'll like someone, you know, at a it looks like a you know, gala premiere or something, all dressed up, and then the other one is like just um like hanging out at home and so like the corona selfie is one and so you're looking kind of disheveled, but like, you know, also not not that disheveled, like still still pretty good and and uh so so I guess this this is what I'll look like on a Zoom if you do a Zoom chat or something like that. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Uh, I guess, uh, yeah, uh, this will, I guess, continue to develop. Um, uh, so, okay, I think that's that's all I have. <laughs> okay, thanks for coming on, Katrina. Um, and all, all the stuff that we mentioned uh, will be linked on the blogging site below. Um, and so uh, thank you for taking the time and thank you to our viewers and listeners and we'll see you again next time.
0: Thank you.